96.3 HD2 and 98.3 FM. This is the Inside Segment. I'm Harold Fisher. <laughs> this is the perfect conversation for Halloween night. What are you afraid of? Are you afraid of the dark? Maybe it's spiders, or perhaps you're afraid of heights. And what about your sister-in-law's holiday casserole? <laughs> I'm just kidding about that. But phobias are a real thing for a lot of people. And joining me to brave this frightening topic is licensed psychotherapist and wellness expert, C. Anderson. Lines are open. Give us a call at 202-319-7810. 202-319-7810. You can X me at hfisherwhur or find me on Instagram at Harold T. Fisher. Boy, that's scary. The lines are already full. Hey, C., how are you? Hey, Harold, how you doing? I'm doing just fine. Not afraid of much these <laughs> days. I mean, <laughs> you know, other than, you know, to be quite honest, a little afraid of crime in D.C., but that's another show. But another show. Yes, indeed. Let's talk a little bit about phobias. What's a working de- definition for phobias? I'm so glad you asked because we want to differentiate that from a regular fear, right? So a phobia has certain markers that are very specific. They are extreme, they are debilitating, persistent, and it's an irrational fear reaction that's usually a, it's disproportionate to the real danger that whatever the circumstance or item or situation may cause, and it interferes with normal life. Hmm. So for people who may be who may say for example that they are afraid of heights mm-hmm. but they will still perhaps go into a tall building and look out of the window and they may mm-hmm. feel discomfort but mm-hmm. that's not really a phobia No, right, because a marker in that example you just gave was that despite them being in fear of heights, they still go into the building. Most individuals who have a phobia will not even put themselves in a situation to interact, to feel, to have that discomfort um, in the first place. So I would say that that would be a fear of heights. Hmm. That wouldn't necessarily be the extreme, debilitating, persistent a phobia of that particular circumstance. So why, in that same example, if it's not a phobia, why might heights just make someone feel uncomfortable or any, air quote, fear as opposed mm-hmm. to a full-blown phobia? Why, why would the lesser feeling mm-hmm. just be discomfort? Where does that come from? Yeah, so so fears are more rational, right? So if, for instance, you are hiking and you're climbing up a mountain, it's rational for you to think there's a possibility that I could fall and, you know, harm myself and, 
maybe even it'd be fatal. That's a rational and improbable fear that could cause some discomfort because it really could happen, right? So that is the, that's the huge difference. And so for some people, there is a temporary thought, discomfort, or fear that happens in relation to certain situations or circumstances, but it's temporary, where phobia is something that is persistent. So for instance, if maybe you have a fear of snakes, that doesn't change just because you're no longer in the woods. You have a fear of snakes anywhere, all the time, at any time. Hmm. So let's talk about that. I -hmm. think there are a lot of people, for example, that are really afraid of snakes Mm -hmm. who have not had any experience with them at all, but they are afraid of snakes because other people are afraid of snakes. Mm -hmm. So where might a phobia, an actual phobia come from, and is it possible for someone to be cured of a specific phobia? Yes, so it is possible to be cured. But first, let's kind of talk about how that develops. So for most people who are clinically diagnosed as being phobic, having some sort of intense, debilitating, and persistent fear that causes an impairment in their daily life, that, that, the origin of that is usually from a traumatic or a distressing experience. So sometimes people have incidents in their childhood that have stuck with them. And because of that particular incident, they are now um, experiencing this intense um, discomfort. And normal fears develop through normal learning, right? So if you know that heights are dangerous or that fire is hot, you probably don't want to stick your hand on the stove because you know that that's going to cause pain, right? And you've learned that. But a phobia specifically is developed when a person has an experience that is traumatic, meaning they have not incorporated or integrated that particular experience into their psyche in a way that has been healthy for them, and they still have some unresolved issues around whatever that experience was or whatever that traumatic event was. And those things usually require clinical and licensed practitioners to help them resolve and learn how to cope and hopefully eliminate that experience. So, and I can talk about myself in full transparency. Okay. Um, dogs. And I know this Ooh. is this isn't popular because people mm-hmm. love their dogs. Uh, I've been terrified of dogs for many, many years because, mm-hmm. as you just said, and it didn't matter how big or small or how fluffy or cute or what. Mm-hmm. It, it, you know, dogs have teeth. And Hello. I, right. I was bitten <laughs> in the face at five years old. Oh, wow. By a dog. Yeah. And then later, several years later, I was bitten again in the arm by a dog. Mm. So... Mm-hmm. After being bitten twice in two different circumstances at two different ages, I'm cool with not having dogs, not having any interaction with them. Uh-huh. And yes, they made me extremely uncomfortable. However, yeah. realizing where that mm-hmm. fear came from, uh, I still get a little nervous around them. But I, I said to myself, you're going to have to get over it because they're everywhere. 
Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. certainly large dogs, yeah, are the ones that, you know, that are like horses, but people call them dogs. Um, <laughs> still still not a big fan. But you know, I've, I've made some internal adjustments mm. so that perhaps dog owners who may be in my neighborhood, who, who have dogs that are otherwise peaceful animals, that, that the owners are not afraid of me. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I, I, I do understand that. We are talking about phobias tonight. What are you afraid of? Is it just a slight fear or is it a full-blown phobia? If you have a comment or a question, give us a call at 202-319-7810. 202-319-7810. Renee, calling from D.C. Thanks for calling. What's on your mind? Yes, hi, this is Renee. Um, I'm calling. I have a fear of elevators. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I think as you were talking since a child, I remember watching a movie. Um, I think it was The Tower in Inferno. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. That, that's an elevator. Um, that's heights. That's fire. That's a whole bunch. But go right ahead, yes, Renee. Yes. And um, so that stuck with me. Um, and then, um, you know, 9-11 happened, mm. but I noticed I can't get around elevators sometime. I, I work on the ninth floor at my job, so mm. I will get on the elevator with other people, um, mm-hmm. and it all depends on the space, how big the elevator is, mm-hmm. um, if it, it looks like it's, oh, it's new, but it's just very, very small, and I'm finding like, okay, it's taking too long, or the door is not opening up fast enough. I'm like, okay, I'm get, I'm jumping off of this thing, and I'm just mm. gonna, you know, walk down the stairs or up the stairs. So, um, and I do a part-time job sometimes, uh, you know, do DoorDash and everything. And I find that I have to go in these buildings, these very high buildings. And I'm like, Renee, this is this is not rational, but it has stuck with me. I'm 52, and it's been with me all my mm. life. Mm-hmm. So, real quick, see, what should uh, Renee do about this? Because she's been on the elevators, so even though it's uncomfortable for her, it doesn't appear to be debilitating. Correct, right? And so it's not impairing her ability to go to work and do her job. She's not late for work because she has to climb nine flights of stairs, you know, every morning. So I would say that this is probably more of a fear for you, Renee. And pay attention because fear usually is a signal for us. And it may be a signal for some underlying issues that maybe that movie brings um, up for you. It could be whatever was happening in your life um, as an an indicator during that time when you actually watch the movie. And it may not even be the elevator itself. And you can also evaluate it and ask yourself, is this fear that I have of this elevator, is it rational? Is this a real threat to my life, right? Am I exaggerating it? If I'm exaggerating it, then why am I exaggerating it? So you can kind of determine whether or not that fear is proportional to the actual risk, which is whatever the the worst case scenario is in your mind, and even maybe connect with a therapist to help you process through that. Hmm. Should she not watch the movie again? That I can't say. That would that would actually require a much deeper conversation and assessment. Um, some people do believe in exposure. I wouldn't recommend doing exposure without the 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 
support and the oversight of a uh, licensed professional, but that certainly would be a personal preference. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Renee, good luck to you. Thank you so much for, for calling. I, I will say, you, but as soon as she said that, uh, great movie, 1974, Irwin Allen produces Steve McQueen and uh, Paul Newman. Great, great movie. Anyway, Keith. Calling from D.C. Thanks for calling, Keith. What's on your mind? Good evening, everybody, and to the radio listeners. Listen, y'all don't laugh at me. I'm in my mid-50s. I'm scared of the booger man. You're afraid of the boogeyman. Y'all don't mess with the booger man. I burn 100-watt bulbs in my house, and if I'm visiting Mm -hmm. someone and staying with them, I take my own bulbs to make sure that we're going to light up. And And I know it comes from my childhood because, you know, we were bad little kids. My great aunt, who was ra- who raised us, a mm-hmm. part of the the Big Mama team, she would cut the lights off and it spooked the booger man's gonna get you if you don't behave yourself, mm-hmm. booger man. And so I associate that with darkness. Now here's the, here's the clicker. I work in the undertaking business. Mm. So wait, and I don't have no so, problem so, so the booger man, but not yeah. the bodies. Right, not the bodies, but the booger bag. So I sit up all night until the sun come up with the bright 100-watt bulbs on. And when the sun, I see the sun in the morning, I'm like, thank you, Jesus, we'd have made it. Let's stop today. So let me ask you, Keith, is it the boogeyman or is it the dark that you're afraid of? I think more so it's the, it's the booger man with the dark because the booger man only comes with the dark. So how do you sleep? With the hundred white bulbs on, so I you sleep. Oh, you so you go to sleep with the lights on, right? All my lights are on, and if you come to my house, mm. I've always burned one hundred white bulbs. And and my friends and family tell you if I'm coming to see them and I'm gonna stay with them, which I like to go to the hotel instead to keep it down. I got hundred white bulbs in the car with, me. yeah, in the four pack. So, so, so if I can interject, Keith. Um, so actually, in, in in contrast to what Renee was saying. Keith is actually explaining how this fear, right, which I'm going to say, I'm not diagnosing you, but I'm saying it Mm -hmm. is likely a phobia, Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. it is, one, it's debilitating, and it causes him impairment, right? So that means that he he just said for his entire life, since Big Mama or his auntie said, you know, we cutting the lights off and the boogerman is coming, since since then, he has slept, even as an adult in his 50s, with the lights on. I don't know. It must be a lot of love and compassion. God bless her, right? Or God bless the person that you are in partnership with, or you have had a partnership, because that also affects and interferes with anyone that he is in relationship and decides oh, to share oh, no his doubt. bedroom with. No right? doubt. So there is a debilitating um, presence there in impairment. So, yes, that would be considered or could be considered considered to be a phobia. Mm-hmm. Uh, is this something that you want to fix, Keith? No, well, I'm trying to, but, you know, I, 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 I'm, I just don't mess with the booger man. Yeah. I just don't. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I keep the lights on. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's just something I've been learning to live with. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Keith, thank you. A lot of people do exactly what Keith is doing is that they suffer 
um, and learn to live with the things that are causing them impairment and really reducing their quality of life yeah. when we really don't have to. Keith, good luck to you, and thank you so much for calling. 202-319-7810. 202-319-7810. We are talking about phobias. What are you afraid of and why? We're going to take a break, but we'll be back in just a moment. John Mons is next with the original Quiet Storm. That's on WHUR. This frightening conversation on this Halloween night continues on Sirius XM Channel 141. Welcome back to The Daily Drum on Sirius XM Channel 141. I'm Harold Fisher. We continue our conversations about phobias on this Halloween night. What are you afraid of and why? My guest is licensed psychotherapist and wellness expert C. Anderson. Lines are open at 202-319-7810, 202-319-7810. You can X me at H. Fisher, W-H-U-R, or you can find me on Instagram at Harold T. Fisher. So I want to talk about some other phobias. One of the things that we have seen a huge rise in and a lot of publicity around circus clowns Mm. and the fear of that. And I've, I've always found that to be fascinating because I have always liked clowns, specifically at the circus, mm-hmm. uh, back when Ringling Brothers and Barnum and uh-huh. Bailey, you know, had you know had crown, clowns way back in the day. Mm-hmm. But there was an article in the Washington Post just today, and the, the article said that five percent of all Americans have a horrific fear of clowns. Why do you suppose that is? So for several reasons, uh, if we look at how we get information through the media, through movie, through TV, etc., something that was once created as this, this joyous character, at least in Western culture, there are some things in, um, in Europe that suggest that clowns have a more sinister origin Mm -hmm. but in western culture they're like you said at the circus at a birthday party and you have to remember that people like to use things that are innocent or sweet or happy and vilify them and turn them into villains in tv shows and movies we look at shows like american horror story where they had the actual season with the and the clown that was going around and he was murderous and then we look at movies like killer clowns and then we look at all these other examples of or devilish clowns. dolls for example exactly. yeah so i will tell you harold and i've never said this publicly but i trust you okay mm-hmm. i will tell you that i <laughs> i have a fear of one particular doll i don't know if you can, if you've ever seen the movie but the, the movie child's play yes the the original chucky uh huh. Yeah, and that's Chucky yeah that that's some that's it. some scary stuff right there. Can't do it. Yeah, can not do it. I saw the movie when I was about maybe I think five or so, mm-hmm. and that has really kind of stuck with me throughout my life. And I've kind of had to do some work around that. And so the way that my psyche um kind of process 
process it is, is that it comes up for me in dreams when I need to be aware or kind of on guard about something happening in my waking hours. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that I, I understand that. Let me go back to the phone lines, 202-319-7810, 202-319-7810. Chelsea calling from Rockville. Thanks for calling, Chelsea. What's on your mind? Hey, so I was telling a young lady, I guess it's a fear of heights. Like, I love roller coasters because you kind of go up and you come down and around. But what scares me is I remember the times we would go to King's Dominion when I was young and get on that Eiffel Tower thing. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. It's like I, if I'm up all the way in the sky like that, girl, I cannot get close to that bar. It's like my anxiety starts freaking out. Yeah. Like, I feel like I'm going to jump off. And I'm not suicidal. Don't get it twisted. Right. Being up high like that, like I cannot get close because my heart starts racing, you know, because I guess I'm mm-hmm. so high up. It's just a scary thing. You know of what course, I mean? Because there's a sense of powerless powerlessness there because if something happens, where are you going? Where is there yes. for you to go? Right? Yes. So there's yes, a loss no. of control. Yes, there's a loss of control. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. I think that's what it is. Yep. The, the, the not being in control. And I'm like, uh-uh. Yeah. I am not getting close to that railing. No, sir. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, 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 hang in there, Chelsea. I appreciate your Thank phone you. call. 202-319-7810. 202-319-7810. We're talking about phobias tonight. What are you afraid of? Rachel calling from Upper Marlboro. Rachel, what's on your mind? Hello. Hi. Um, hey. Hi. I have a phobia of um, people throwing up. And it's not, I know a lot of people, they're like, oh, well, I don't like to be around people throwing up. It's, no, that's not it. It, it is a mm. full-blown phobia. I have had it since I was a child. I know when I was around, around five, my grandfather had throat cancer, and and I had to set and like we would go for rides in a car, and I had to sit up front with him, and I had to hold his can he threw up in. Mm. My her aunts and my aunts, they was in the back seat, but you know, back in those days, you didn't say nothing to your father. So, right, I experienced that, and even in the house, when I when um, I had to dump his can, he carried a can mm. to be the one because I was his favorite. I had to be the one to dump it. So I'm assuming that's where it came from. I've been to therapist. I have. Mm-hmm. I just can't get rid of it, and it, it has affected my life. I know I have. Wow. Were broke. Uh, I was in relationships, and it ended because they couldn't understand how I come mm. down or if they got sick. I do a great. I have a uh, wherever I go, I'm always looking at exit plans just in case. Yeah. And yeah, and if someone yeah. says they're feeling they don't feel well, I politely don't go, or I'll think about something. Okay, what if I go and and what if. Mm-hmm. What if that, and sometimes I'll decline going somewhere just to avoid being in that situation. So what should she do, see, about that? So cause she, she mentioned something important. She said, I've been to therapists. And so every therapist doesn't necessarily specialize um, in everything. And so one of the things I would recommend for you, uh, Rachel, is if you would uh, do a consultation, right, you can hit up a therapist and say, hey, here's what I'm dealing with. Do you have experience? And hopefully they do. Um, you might benefit from a hypnotherapist or a therapist that provides brain spotting because both of those uh, 
both of those uh, approaches would allow you to get to the core really quickly, not in, not in five or ten sessions, but maybe in the first, first or second session, get to the core of what that barrier is for you around that particular bodily function. Because God forbid if you get sick and you yourself have to throw up or, a, or someone in your, your home and your care, that has to be really scary for you, and I'm sorry that you're having to navigate that. What is brain spotting? So I'm a brain spotter, and brain spotting um, is an offshoot of what we call EMDR, um, eye movement uh, desensitization um, and reprocessing. And what it does is your brain holds trauma in capsules in um, in your limbic system. And so brain spotting allows me to go in, look at your eye movement, and with your eye movement actually access the trauma that has been stored in your brain, it takes me right to it so we can get to um, exactly what's happening, what you're feeling, and you yourself as a client, actually, um, you are able to follow what your body and your brain and your emotions need, and it's not even me doing all of the work. Hmm. Okay. Rachel, uh, good luck to you. Thank you so much for giving us a call. Uh, 202-319-7810. 202-319-7810. So let's talk about other kinds of fears or phobias that may be less intangible. I mean, you know, we talked about fear of heights and Mm -hmm. fear of dogs and, and the like. But what about people who may be f- truly afraid of failure or mm-hmm. or even success mm, how does yeah. how does yeah. that how does that work i mean what what does that look like so that looks different for everybody because people define success in different ways one of the things i always recommend is that you define success for yourself And we have to also look at the way that we're socialized around failure, right? How we define failure, what society tells us, what our families have told us is success and failure. In some families, failure isn't a word, right? In my household, in my family, we don't use the word failure. We use the word feedback. What is the feedback that you have gotten from this experience that maybe didn't go the way that you had hoped? So being very careful about how we define those words and making sure that we're defining them for ourselves. And failure, if we want to use that term, there's lesson in that. So that means that if we are attuned enough to what is going on within us when these circumstances occur, we can use it as a lesson, as a springboard to put us in the pathway to get the result or the success that we desire. Um, now, what about fear of success? Mm, okay, let's get into that, right? So I have found that fear of success for the most comes from individuals who have grown up in circumstances that maybe um, were impoverished, that maybe parents um, worked jobs that were considered to not be a white collar or growing up in environments where if you get out, then you are, in fact, a sellout, right? And I see that a lot with um, my uh, African-American male clients. Mm. 
um, feeling guilty, having to go back, wanting to bring everybody with them, or self-sabotaging, self-sabotaging opportunities and um, educational uh work, employment, relationship opportunities because they don't believe that they know how to either handle success, are worthy of success, or whether or not success is something that they can maintain once they obtain it. A lot of people don't know if they can keep doing what is necessary to remain successful, and that can be really overwhelming and scary. And I would imagine a great many of those people are not big risk takers. Mm-hmm, right, because there's safety for some people when we don't take risk. Risk inherently says, hey, there is a possibility and a certain probability that this unfavorable outcome will happen. And so for some people, they feel safer when they can eliminate the risk um, across the board. So absolutely, you're spot on. Yeah. 202-319-7810-202-319-7810. Oveta, calling from Clinton. Thanks for calling. Yes. What's on your mind? Hi. Hi. Can you hear me okay? Yes. What are you afraid of? I can hardly hear you. I said, so what, what are you afraid of? Oh, I am afraid of arachnophobia. Arachnophobia. Mm. Um Spiders, okay. Spiders, yes. And the, my main thing, reason why I'm calling, I'm still afraid of them. However, as a parent, I've been able to get over uh, the fear enough to help my children as mm, far as if they see a spider. Yeah. Too. But my family tells me I marked my daughter. Bless her heart. She is even more afraid of spiders to the point where she will freeze, cry, mm. scream out. Now, she's in college now, and to this day, mm-hmm. She sees a spider, I don't care how small, how big, it mm-hmm. doesn't matter. And she goes into a major panic attack. Mm-hmm. And we don't know what to do. I feel so bad that, yes, I'm afraid, but I feel like I got over it for my children. And enough yes. to be able to kill them. Now, don't get, me, don't get it don't twisted now. If I see a spider to this day, if it's not outside, but if I'm inside my home with the spiders, I will have a tizzy fit and anybody else around knows that they need to help hurry up and kill it. Yeah, if it's for my children, I mm-hmm. can do it. It sounds to me, see, as if this is the same kind of thing related to snakes, for example, Ooh. in mm-hmm. that the the fear has been passed on mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. from yes. from the parent yes. to the child. And I am blamed. And I will say it's right along the line because if I get adults that come in with anxiety, the first thing I ask them is, what was your childhood like around things that were fearful? And and usually they will indicate that they had a parent who was also anxious and they learned, it's a learned behavior in some cases, they learned to associate discomfort, fear, et cetera, with a particular circumstance, right? So maybe you had an overbearing parent, um, and now you're afraid and you're overly cautious of everything because that parent was. So just like she described her fear and that her daughter has that same fear, because guess what? She probably saw mom have a exaggerated reaction or a disproportionate reaction to a spider being in the house, a fake spider being somewhere on Halloween, right? So now she learns that, oh, my gosh, spiders are a bad and dangerous thing, even though I am probably about 500 times the size 
right? Of this particular circumstance, manager. Exactly. So, Oveta, right. let me let me ask you this: What about fake spiders, like we see on Halloween? Do those bother you, or only the real ones? Now, for me, it's the real ones. Right. I can look at a spider. Now, mm-hmm. for my daughter, she cannot look mm-hmm. at a spider. Don't turn. Mm-hmm. Don't show her a picture. Don't show her anything about spiders. She will yes. turn the other way. She, oh, yeah, she can't do it. Yes, and so I would, say, phone, huh? I would say that you have a fear in your daughter, right, in childhood, mm-hmm. that it could have been some trauma there with seeing your reaction, maybe even worried about your safety, and she actually has a phobia because people with phobias can't even look at pictures, can't even have thoughts of whatever that stimulus is because it creates the same kind of debilitating reaction that it would if that thing were real and present with them in the moment. And I and I will say this before we let Oveta go, that fear of spiders, and I'm not talking about phobias, but mm-hmm. I'm talking about your garden variety fear of spiders mm-hmm. is a real thing because it is important to to understand that spiders do bite mm-hmm. spiders they, they do jump they are, they can be uh all of them almost all of them are poisonous but not harmful to humans however we do have in this area brown recluse spiders yes i'm mm-hmm. i'm a i'm a documentary nerd and we also okay. have uh we have black widow spiders yes. in, in in this mm-hmm. area as well and so yes there certainly is a reason to to treat them with respect when we encounter them mm-hmm. which is the same that we would do if we if we encountered a snake right we wouldn't mm. A tip, the typical person wouldn't just kind of walk up and pick it up and throw it somewhere. Some folks do that. I, I live, you know, in a state where people do that. But um, for the most part, your average person is going to be cautious because, right, as I said earlier, when we talk about fear, fear says, hey, that's a potential threat. Phobia mm-hmm. says there is no potential threat in this moment, but I am still reacting and responding as if there is. Yeah. Well, so Oveta, what am I to do? What can I do? So oh I, no, you're, you're, so, you're so sweet. And I, and, I, and I can tell, I can hear in your voice how much you love your daughter and, and it pains you, you know, that she's experiencing this. But again, I would say you would want her to see a, a practitioner, a hypnotherapist or a therapist who specializes in the eliminate, elimination or reduction of response to phobias. You want someone who specializes in that exposure therapy, desensitization, etc. Okay. okay. Oveta, thank you so thank much for you. calling. 202-319-7810. 202-319-7810. Avery calling from Northwest DC. Thanks for calling Avery. What's on your mind? Avery, are you there? Okay, Avery, Avery, um, Avery, give me a call back if, if you can. So here is another one, and we often hear about this issue several times during the course of the year, Friday the 13th, Triscodecophobia. Say that three times fast. Uh, 
the fear of the number 13, where does that come from? Is that a pop culture thing or is that a religious thing? Where does that come from? So that is actually cultural, right? There are some cultures that believe that 13 is an unlucky number just as much as there are some cultures who understand um, who or who believe that there is a power in, of manifesting in, um, in the number 13. So that is actually cultural. And so you just kind of have to look at some belief systems around where you where you're located, whether it might be geographical, what your religious what your religion is, your superstition, et cetera, because that varies across the globe. Yeah, yeah, and I've I've heard that, and I I think when I was a much younger person, I kind of adopted the pop culture fear that Friday the 13th was bad luck. I don't even think about it now. I, <laughs> you know, I, I just don't. But what, from from your own list, what other kinds of phobias are they that, that you've encountered that most people may consider unusual? Okay. So, um, for one, I've encountered... Uh, individuals who have a fear of cotton um a and fear not of cotton, cotton. Like, yes not cotton in your clothes but cotton balls right so touching the cotton um maybe they had some sort of experience when they were younger where it, it's a trigger for them to that particular experience that, so I, I take it those are that, that sounds like some some black history <laughs> uh <laughs> real <Right>. real <laughs> and uh, i mean i think if you look at it that way i think there probably would be a whole lot of black people who would at least be concerned about right. that but uh, right but like wouldn't use cotton balls um you know had her spouse open up you know medicine because a lot of medicine uh over-the-counter medicine usually has a cotton ball in it um etc so that would be something that is very very rare very individualized um but i do get a lot of people who have that fear of of flying right so aerophobia which is always really interesting because when you look at the numbers right when you look at the probability or the possibility of of a, of a commercial airliner crashing it would it numbers tell us that it's about 16 million flights in a crash and then one crash right mm-hmm. and another 16 million flights so it's quite irrational you're more likely to have um issues if you are on the road in a vehicle right much more much more likely hmm. and and i think so let let's drill down a little bit more about that because i i, I really think it's kind of interesting there may be a very very fine line between people who find flying exhilarating and mm-hmm. those who are afraid of it mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. a lot of that stuff goes to heights like i said heights mm-hmm. make uh, heights make me uncomfortable but that is coming from the same man who as part of his work in television not only did hot air ballooning, but jumped out of oh. an airplane at oh. 18,000 feet skydiving. Oh. Yet. Yeah. And while I had some initial discomfort, 
about skydiving, I was, I found the hot air balloon thing quite exhilarating. Mm -hmm. However, I do remember, and obviously this was before 9-11, when the World Trade Centers were still standing in New York, having gone, having gone all the way to the top and standing at the observation deck and looking down, the the discomfort was palatable. Mm-hmm. But so you had a visceral experience. Well, I wouldn't even call it, and I, I don't know it. It probably it's I, I don't know what that you know what that's about because yeah. flying doesn't bother me. Hot uh, hot air ballooning did not bother me. Skydiving mm-hmm. did not bother me. Mm-hmm. But or the CN Tower standing on that thick piece of plexiglass in Toronto and looking down, that made me uncomfortable. World Trade mm-hmm. Center made me uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Flying doesn't. So I don't know what that's about. So you have to look at the difference in circumstances, right? So for instance, when, you, when we talk about people that don't like to fly, but they'll drive, despite there being a higher probability of being maybe in a... Uh, a vehicular accident, one of the things that people that people have issue with is not being in control. I would assume that if you're skydiving, you have the instructor that's kind of strapped to your back. If you're in um, in a hot balloon, you have a, 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 I don't even know what they're called, but maybe like a, the person that's steering and kind of controlling the hot air and all of that. But in circumstances where maybe you feel a little bit like you don't have control over what happens or what the result would be, sometimes that will trigger that fear and or uh, or phobia. So I, I guess because each one is each phobia is different. But the other big thing are people who have social anxiety disorder yeah. Is that a phobia or is that a completely different thing? People who do not like to be in unfamiliar crowds mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. or people who don't like to, they perhaps they don't like to go to concerts because mm-hmm. there are people, they're, they're afraid of that. But then I know I do have some friends who say, I just don't want to go because I don't like people. But that's, <laughs> but that's different, I would imagine, from social anxiety or even a phobia. Yeah. So we have to look at um, just kind of culturally the way that we're socialized and some of the experiences that we have as groups. So we are inundated with a couple of things. We are inundated with uh, news and images of things happening um, that can be really tragic when groups of people are together. In addition to that, we're also exposed to situations where we are around other people, we're interacting with people, and we say the wrong thing, or we, we do the wrong thing that might be, you know, it might not be acceptable socially, and then we go home and we ruminate about what's happened, or we learn later that, oh, so-and-so was talking about us, right? And so social social phobia has a lot to do with being excessively self-conscious um, with the fear of embarrassment or judgment, humiliation, uh, especially around unfamiliar people. So they're usually a little more, well, actually a lot more comfortable with people that they know, that they trust, 
Um, and it could also include having to perform or speak in public as well. Hmm. Final thoughts from from you, see about phobias and if you have one that is really controlling your life and Mm -hmm. impacting the quality of your life. Yes. So I would um, encourage anyone who has um, what could be a phobia, meaning it's causing impairment. You avoid activities, you avoid people, you avoid special occasions and things that you really would like to experience because the fear is so great. Um, to see a clinician, to see someone who uh, can hold space for you in a place that, is, that feels safe, build rapport, and then take you to the place that's the most uncomfortable for you so that you can improve your quality of life and your experiences. And if there are individuals who just have fears, right, because fears come up, that's part of life, there are things that you can do to make that fear work for you. So pay attention to the fear. What is it telling you? What's the information that that fear is giving, is giving you, right? Don't ignore it or suppress it suppress it, but really um, use it to understand that situation better and then try to be objective about it and evaluate yourself and ask yourself, is my fear of this thing or, or is me being fearful about this thing or worried about this thing? Is it rational? Am I exaggerating it? Is, it, is there an actual risk? What is the risk, right? Um, and then you can use that energy around fear because the, the biological, the physiological response that we have in our bodies of adrenaline Use that adrenaline, channel that energy into something else aside from panicking or maybe freezing and just kind of try to use that intensity more mindfully. So that would be my my recommendation. I think that's some really, really good advice. It sounds like there (laughs) is hope out there for people who have the garden variety fears as well as full-blown phobias. C. Anderson, thank you so much for talking to us, and I hope you uh, have a happy Halloween. Watch those kids at the front door. They're they're knocking. Have a good one. (laughs) You too. That is the Daily Drum for this Tuesday, October 31st. I'm Harold Fisher. Watch out for the children as you're driving around tonight. Have a good night.